Well, if you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Last week, had a pretty good snowstorm here. Um, I was amazed. 80-something people came out last week during that storm. It was unreal. I, I told my wife before, I was like, oh, we'll probably, I don't know, probably 30 people will show up. But, you know, it's pretty, pretty yucky roads. I could not believe that 80 of you were crazy enough to come out. So, um, but I'm glad you did. But it was sort of part one in this two-week look at, at Jesus' teaching on prayer. So I just want to throw this out right at the beginning. If you missed last week, you don't have to, have to necessarily go back and, and, and listen to the teaching that from here last week, but you got to go back and you really do need to take some time and dig into the first four verses of chapter 11. It is available on, on, on YouTube. You can go back and watch our service last week, but it's important because it is the foundation for what we're looking at today. And if you don't get that foundation then you're kind of going to miss, I think, a little bit of, of what Jesus is driving at here in, in verses 5 through 13. So really do take the time to do that. But just a real quick summary. In verse 1, in verse one, we read that after Jesus had finished praying, his, uh, one of his disciples came up to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. We, we want to pray like that. We want to pray like you. And in verse 2, Jesus said, well... When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and give us, uh, forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And as we talked about last week, this model prayer of Jesus that we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer was never intended to be just a formula that his disciples would recite verbatim. Instead, Jesus was providing his followers with a pattern for their prayers. It's an example for how we should approach God in prayer. And what we saw in this, this model prayer is that first and foremost, we should come to God with a desire for His glory and His will. That's, our, that's, the, that's the beginning of this prayer, right? Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But Jesus also encouraged His followers to present their needs to God. And I just said last week, I was like, isn't it amazing that a holy, perfect God would even care about the needs of all of us? It's amazing. And so he encourages, us, uh, encourages his followers to pray for both their physical needs like daily bread and their spiritual needs like forgiveness and protection from evil. And so it, it's a pattern for prayer that Jesus gives us to follow. But as we talked about last week, there was something incredibly significant about this prayer that Jesus taught, something that would have, uh, would have been totally shocking to his original audience. Do you remember? Do you remember what that was, those who were here? What was it? I just heard it. Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father. He says, when, when you pray, I want you to address God 
as your father. Now, for, for you and for me, you look at me like, okay, what's the big deal, right? It doesn't sound like a strange thing that Jesus says that. You know, many of us, we, we've grown up hearing that God is our heavenly father, haven't we? I mean, you just from the time you were little, you know, like, well, you have an earthly dad, but you also have a heavenly father. We grew up knowing that. We've, we've memorized the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven, right? Hallowed be thy name. And so for us, we're used to hearing God referred to as our father. And because of that, we don't realize just how revolutionary it was for Jesus, for people to hear Jesus addressing God in this way. It was very unusual. Nobody, nobody at the time of Christ, nobody in the Old Testament period referred to God in such a familiar way, such a relational way. But Jesus regularly spoke to God as his father, referred to God as his father. And not only did Jesus do it, but he encouraged his followers to do the same. He said, when you pray, say, Father, Father. Now, last Sunday, I encouraged you. I, I, I encouraged you, challenged you to take time this week, this past week, to intentionally slow down as you come into prayer, to stop and just breathe for a moment. Think about who you're talking to and then say it say, Father. That was the challenge. I don't know how many of you did that this week. Did anybody take that challenge a little bit in their prayer time? Good. I see a few hands going up. The rest of you are just rebels. So I'm not going to do it because he told me to do it. But this week I will because he didn't tell me to. Father. I can tell you that for me personally, for me personally, over the last couple weeks as I've been doing that, just stopping before I just barge into prayer, stopping just to think about who I'm talking to and to say, Father, it has been powerful in my own personal prayer life. I'm talking to my dad, talking to my dad who loves me so, so much. Several weeks ago, I shared one of my favorite quotes, but it bears repeating this morning. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because, as he goes on to say, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. How we think about God really matters. It really matters. It's, it matters to take time and think like, I'm talking to my father. See, if, if you tend to picture God, if, if, if your mental image of God is, a, is, is that he's a harsh taskmaster, you know, with a big stick sitting in heaven just waiting to get you every time you mess up, if that's your image of God, it's going to have an impact on how you approach him, isn't it? I don't know if I want to go to God in prayer. Or maybe if you have an image of God that he's the, he's the great big genie in the sky, 
just waiting for you to come and give him another wish, if that's how you picture him, it's going to impact the way that you pray, isn't it? For some of you, for some of you, even thinking of God as a father can present some challenges for you, right? Maybe, maybe you had a lousy father. If he's sitting next to you, don't hit him, okay? Maybe you had a bad father. Or maybe, maybe you didn't have a father growing up. And let me, let me just say this. If that's you, first of all, I, I just I want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like literally this week as I was, as I was working on this message, I stopped to pray for you specifically. Because I realized that you have a hurdle to overcome in, in picturing God as a loving father that other people may not. And I pray that you wouldn't allow the failures of whatever experience you had with your earthly father to cloud your vision of a perfect, loving, and holy father that he is. In fact, the, the, in fact, the fact that you have a hurdle to get over tells me that you know that it wasn't right. Your experience wasn't right. That there is a right standard. There is such a thing as a good father, and that good father is your father in heaven. By the way, even for those of us who had a good father, even good fathers don't even come close to measuring up to what our heavenly father is. Amen? Jesus wants his followers to know that when we pray, this is who we are talking to. We're talking to our heavenly father. But, but as I said, this was a radical concept for his original audience. So when Jesus finished you know, teaching them ab about this pattern for prayer that we looked at last week, he continued his teaching on prayer by focusing in on this relationship that we have with God as our father. And that's what we're gonna be looking at over these next nine verses. And so if you're a note taker, here's what, here's what we're going to look at in, in, these, in verses 5 to 13. You can just write this down, um, just one sentence here to kind of summarize this whole thing. We should boldly bring our requests to God anytime, day or night, knowing that we can trust Him because he is a good father who loves his children and wants what is best for them. That's the next nine verses summarized into one run-on sentence. <laughs> we should boldly bring our request to God anytime, day or night, knowing that we can trust him because he's a good father who loves his children and wants what is best for them. This is what Jesus wants his original audience the disciples to understand, and it's what he wants us to comprehend as well. So let's begin in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Luke 11, verse 5 says, and he said to them, this is right after his teaching on, on the Lord's prayer, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he'll answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him 
whatever he needs. Okay, so what we have here is another parable of Jesus, okay? It's a, it's a short story that, listen, more than likely would have put a smile on his disciples' faces. They would have got a little chuckle out of this story. He looks around at them. He looks around at his 12 disciples and maybe some other followers that are there with them, and he asks them a question. Which of you, which of you, Peter, James, John, Andrew, which of you would do this? How many of you would go and knock on your friend's door at midnight in order to borrow some food to serve to an unexpected guest? Jesus says, how many of you would do that? Let me ask you the same question. How many of you would do that? How many? Anybody? All right. I'm with you. Like, I would do it just to annoy a friend, right? <laughs> like, yes. Think about it for a second. How strange would it be? How strange would it be if I had a friend arrive unexpectedly at my door tonight? Let's say around midnight. Friend just shows up, and because I'm all out of groceries, was planning to go grocery shopping tomorrow, got nothing in the cupboards, they're hungry. And so how strange would it be if I said, you know what? I'm out of food, but I remember at church this morning that Haley mentioned that she had baked some fresh bread. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over to Pastor Jeff's house at midnight, banging on his front door. <laughs> Jeff... Haley, their two boys are fast as, unless Jeff's up watching sports, he could be still up. But listen, let's just assume they're all in bed. Everybody's tucked in. It's night. They're asleep, banging on the front door. They, they are, I'm going to jump them out of their skin, right? It's going to jump them. They are going to be, what is going on? Pastor Chris is at the front door. There must be a crisis. I need bread. I need bread. Seems silly, right? Doesn't that, doesn't that seem silly? Doesn't it seem strange? Would, would, would I do that, right? Okay, but here's the twist. Here's the twist. What is silly to you and me in this story, what we find to be totally strange in this story is not the same thing that the original audience would have found to be strange or silly. That's what we think, like how silly to go and knock on a door at midnight, but that's not what they would have found strange. We think it's strange that a man would wake up a friend at midnight for something as, as small as, as bread. But the audience in Jesus' day would have thought it absolutely bizarre, strange that someone would be so unwilling to help. I can't get up and help you. I might wake up my kids. Philip Yancey says, a Middle Eastern audience would have laughed out loud at this lame excuse. Can you imagine such a neighbor? Jesus was asking. Certainly not. No one in my village would act so rudely. 
If he did, the entire village would know about it by morning. Isn't that weird? What you and I see, see as strange is just the opposite of what they see as strange. You see, just like many of the stories that we read in the scriptures, in order for us to really understand what's going on, we've got to take off our 21st century Western lenses for a moment, right? This is not the same culture that you and I live in, is it? We need to look at this story. We need to hear the words that Jesus is saying through the ears of someone in the original audience. In this case, through the ears of a, of a Middle Eastern you know, Jew living in Israel over 2,000 years ago. How many of you know that that might be a little bit different than our culture here today? Right, yeah. We've talked about it at several different points in our series, but hospitality in that culture was a top priority. It was taken very, very seriously. One author says that their sense of responsibility for a guest was legendary, you know? It didn't matter who was knocking at your door, right? It didn't matter if it was a dear friend or a complete stranger. The cultural expectation of that day was that you would not only provide them with a place to stay, you would provide them with a meal upon arrival. You might be thinking, okay, fine, but why on earth is this guest showing up at midnight? At midnight. Well, as it turns out, this actually wasn't all that uncommon because, because of the high temperatures in that part of the world, because it gets so hot during the day, a lot of times people would choose intentionally to wait until the sun was starting to go down to begin their travels, choosing, opting for cooler temperatures to travel. They would sometimes travel into or even through the night in order to get the cooler temperatures. We actually do the same thing, don't we? We travel when it's easiest, most convenient. How many of you have taken a road trip at night because your kids will be sleeping in the back? <laughs> it's a good time to travel while they're sleeping in their car seats, not during the day. Or if you're gonna be going through Boston or New York City, you time it so you're going through not during rush hour, right? We, we plan travel for when it's most convenient, when it's most comfortable. On top of that, if you think about it, it's not, it's, not like, it's not like they can just send a text, right? Hey, it looks like I'm going to be arriving around 1130. Just to give you a heads up, we'll be there. And we're coming pretty hungry, right? There's no way. They can't let anybody know. They just, they arrive when they arrive. And when they arrive, because they're traveling usually by foot, they usually arrive pretty hungry. So, this guest shows up. And at this point, the host has a dilemma, right? Do I, do I shirk my responsibilities as a host or do I wake up a friend and borrow some food for my guest? And again, it's not like, it's not like he can just say, oh, we just ran out of food, but let me just run over to the 24-hour Walmart, right? Let me, let me just go down to Cumberland Farms and pick you up a Tostito or whatever those things are, things the food that you shouldn't eat stuff at, at Cumberland Farms. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's not, the, the, the access to food in those days wasn't like it is for us today. We have it so easy, don't we? You know, they had a plan, and, 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 and so they had to rely on their neighbors. Friends and neighbors had to rely on one another. 
you know, in some ways it's kind of sad, isn't it? It's kind of sad. We've lost that, haven't we? We have. We have this fierce determination to be so self-sufficient, don't we? I wouldn't dream of asking my neighbor to even borrow a hammer, right? You go out and buy an expensive power tool because you're too proud to ask your neighbor to borrow it. That is an excuse to own another cool power tool (laughs) that you're going to use one time, right? We're just so independent, aren't we? So anyway, facing this dilemma, facing this dilemma, and all of the cultural expectations, this man has to choose what he's going to do, and, and he chooses the obvious right answer. He's going to go and wake up a friend. It's the obvious right thing to do. Now, one more, one more thing to keep in mind. In that day, in that day, many of the homes uh, were just, they were simple one-room structures. There's a couple pictures from, uh, from over in Israel. Simple one-room structures, with some of them having like an upper like loft as a sleeping area. It was quite common in that culture for the entire family to sleep in the same room on, on usually either like a large uh, you know, bedroll or, or a mat that would be laid out. Sometimes they would roll it up during the day to have space around in the room, and then at night they would roll out the mat uh, to, to sleep on. Actually, if you've been with us to... Mexico, or if you've been in some of the other countries around the world, this is still the way it is in some places, right? Some of the, some of the homes that we, village it, uh, that we visit in the village that we go to in, in Mexico, some of the homes are like this, where there's just one room with one, one bed where the family would sleep. So anyway, that's, that's the situation. And this man and his family, they are, they are all fast asleep when the knocking begins, Right? father wakes up, right? He's, been, he's asleep. He wakes up. He's like, what? Who is it? Who's there? It's me, Josiah. I need some bread. I had an unexpected guest, and they're hungry. The father's like, are you, are you kidding me? Go home. You know, wake up my kids. Shh, get out of here. But the man doesn't stop, does he? He keeps knocking. Come on, man. Come on, you got to help me out here. I'm going to fail as a host. You've got to help me up. They're hungry. I need to feed my guests. Finally, the, the man gives in. He gives in. He's like, all right, all right. Shh, stop. I'll give you some bread. Just be quiet before you wake up my kids. Just be quiet before you wake up the whole neighborhood. Dogs start barking. Lights are going on. We know if, if, the, if the neighborhood wakes up because of this, It's not going to be good for this man, is it? It's not going to be good for the man refusing to give bread. Warren Wiersbe says that if a person refused to entertain a guest, he brought disgrace on the whole village, and the neighbors would have nothing to do with him. The man in the house knew this and did not want to embarrass himself, his family, or his village, so he got up and he met the need. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. Jesus says, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, which by the way, just, it just means it's a, it's a hard word. It's only, it only appears one time in the, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament. 
this, uh, this Greek word. It means shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, because of his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus says, even though, even though friendship was not enough to get this man out of bed to do the right thing, because of the bold persistence of the, of the other man, he will get up and he will provide him whatever he needs. Okay, so back to the original question, because this was a question, right? This was a question. Jesus says, which of you would be like that man? Which one of you? How many of you would boldly persist in search of what you need? How many of you would shamelessly keep knocking, unwilling to give up because it's the right thing to do? That's the question that Jesus is asking. But it's really, it's, it's really a rhetorical question, right? The assumed answer that Jesus is looking for here is, we all would. Of course I'd do that. Every one of us would do that. If you're like Eric in the back here, you would do it again just to wake up your neighbor for fun. You can imagine like Peter or Andrew would be like, wouldn't it be awesome to go and knock on John and James's door at night, the sons of thunder? You know they're just going to roar, right? They're going to be so mad. It's going to be so awesome. Let's do it. I don't even need to have a guest. Let's just go wake them up. It'll be funny. That's what you would do. That's what I would do. Watch out, Jeff and Haley. You better not tell me you're baking bread. I'm just saying. Oh, good. She's going to send me home with bread today. <laughs> but Jesus is he's sharing this parable with his disciples. He's, he's sharing it to make a point about prayer. First, first, he's making the point that we should boldly bring our requests to God. We should boldly bring our requests. Like the man knocking on the door, we should come to our Father anytime day or night. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. You go bring your need to your father boldly, shamelessly. You do not need to apologize. You go because it's the right thing to do. Because, and, and this is the second point, if a bad friend, if a bad friend will eventually do the right thing because of his friend's bold persistence, the point that Jesus is making here is how much more will a loving heavenly father respond to the bold requests of his children as they come to him in prayer? Don't misunderstand this parable. Don't misunderstand the parable. We, we, we should not picture, we should not picture God the father being like the friend who is asleep in bed. Because he's the one that, you know, we're looking at like, you're the friend, bring your request to God. So the friend that, that's sleeping, that's God, right? Actually, Jesus is drawing a contrast here between the friend and God. We should not picture God the Father being like that. Jesus isn't telling us that, that you know, you need to pray, pray, pray until you annoy God enough that he finally says, okay, you can have it. Is that what Jesus is saying here? No, it's a contrast. 
God the Father isn't like that friend. He doesn't give in out of annoyance just to shut us up and send us on our way. God invites his children to come to him with their needs any time of the day. Bible says that the Lord neither sleeps nor slumbers, right? Psalm 121. He's never too tired. He's never too busy. The Lord is always available to listen to his children. He's waiting to hear from his children. See, the point of the parable is that we should boldly bring our request to God anytime, day or night. And if that point wasn't already clear enough, I think it would have been to them. I think it would have been to them. It's harder for us because, again, with the cultural nuance, right? But if it wasn't already clear enough, Jesus then looked at his disciples and gave them a series of commands to drive that point home. Look at verse 9. Jesus continues and he says this, and I tell you, who I, I, Jesus, the, the Son of God, I tell you, he's about to give him a command here, okay? I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay. Jesus, it's like, it's, it's an invisible, it's invisible, okay? Therefore, in light of what I just told you, in light of that parable, therefore, therefore, you should ask, you should seek, you should knock, all right? And what you have here is this, is a, is a growing intensity with these three verbs, ask, seek, knock. It's a, it's a growing intensity. And actually, in the original language, the way that it's written, it actually reads this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It's not something you do one time. It's something you continue to do every day, all day, for the rest of your life. Paul says it this way. We're to pray without ceasing, right? Pray without ceasing. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Don't stop. And Jesus says, if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you will receive. You will find. The door will be opened. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep coming to your heavenly Father in prayer. Keep coming boldly to your father. I read about, I read about uh, an old cartoon, an old cartoon that depicted a young boy who he was frustrated. He was frustrated with the results of his prayers and he was ready to give up. He was ready to be done with prayer. And so and finally, in, in frustration, he cried out, he cried out, Aunt Harriet hasn't gotten married Uncle Hubert hasn't found a job, and Daddy's hair is still falling out. I am getting tired of praying for this family without getting any results. How many of you... I wish somebody would have prayed for that for me a long time ago. How many of you 
have ever felt like that boy? Be honest, right? Probably all of us at some point where you just have been praying and praying and praying for this thing and it's just, it's like he's not answering. He's not answering. Jesus says, don't give up. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Brothers and sisters, keep coming to your Father boldly in prayer. The promise here is that He will answer. He will answer. Now, of course, there, there are times. There are times when, when we receive an immediate answer, right? We love it. Don't you love that when that happens? Like you pray for something and it's either an immediate yes or an immediate no. We prefer the yes. The yes is nice, but... But either way, you, you get an immediate answer, right? And it's like, whew, well, at least I know. At least I know. But you and I also both know that many times, many times the answer that we seem to be getting from the Lord as we continue to ask, seek, and knock is, wait, wait, wait. And, and, it's, and it's during those periods of waiting that there's this growing temptation to give up. To give up. But Jesus says here, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You will receive, you will find, the door will be opened. And sometimes just, just continuing to go to him, is, it's, a, it's an act of faith, isn't it? It's an act of faith. Ken Hughes says, persistence is an indication of our soul's confidence Jesus says, it will be given, you will find, and the door will be opened. So those who ask, seek, and knock are people who believe that God will answer. It's a testing of your faith to keep bringing that need to the Lord. Keep bringing it. Don't give up. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Now, in the book of James... In, the, in, in chapter four, James tells us that one of the reasons why we don't receive is because we do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask, he says in James chapter four, verse two. Brothers and sisters, we need to ask. We need to bring our needs to God. Seek, knock, be bold, be persistent in your prayers. Now, does that mean, does that mean that if I'm, if, okay, if I'm bold, if I'm persistent, if I keep asking, I keep seeking, and I keep knocking, then, th then God is going to give me whatever I ask for. Oh, you wish. Yeah, right? You think you wish. Actually, you don't wish, do you? Because who knows best what is good for you? What's best for you? Not you. Not you. No, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. That's not what these verses are promising. In fact, the context for this teaching, the context, again, that's why I said it's so important to look back at last week's. The context for this statement is, is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And what was that prayer? It was a prayer that was primarily focused on God's glory and God's will. It's a prayer that is, that is, that is focused on our needs, bringing our needs to God, not our every want, not your every desire. 
in that same passage in James chapter four, James says, he says, you do not have because you do not ask, okay? And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. He says, when, when you pray, when you pray, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about your plans. It's all about your passions. And that is not how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, is it? That's not how he taught us to pray. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus said, pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, which is another way of saying, my kingdom isn't what's important, right? His kingdom is what matters. And, and when we boldly and we regularly come to our Father in prayer, asking, seeking, knocking, praying the, the way that Jesus taught us, praying for His glory and His will, trusting Him and trusting His provision for all of our needs, there's something remarkable that begins to take place. There's something remarkable that takes place. Our hearts change. There's an interesting thing that takes place in that waiting period when you continue to come to him, trusting him, leaning on him, seeking his will, trusting that he wants what is best for you. Something happens. Your desires begin to change. How many of you, you experienced that? What you started praying for changes, doesn't it? Our will is conformed to his will. Isn't that awesome? God, in that process, God prepares us to embrace his answer. How many of you have prayed something before? You've prayed something, and you didn't get the answer for quite a while later, but you realize that when you first prayed, you weren't ready for the answer. You weren't ready for that answer. As Warren Wiersbe says, he says, persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get ourselves to the place where he can trust us with the answer. Yeah. There's something remarkable that takes place in our hearts as we continue to ask, seek, and knock. So what we find in this prayer, in Jesus' teaching on prayer, is that prayer is not a mechanism for us to change the heart of God. Rather, prayer is a means through which God aligns our hearts with his. So we gotta keep asking. We gotta keep knocking. We gotta keep seeking. Keep coming boldly to your father in prayer because he is a good father. He's a father who loves his children and he wants what's best for them. And that's the point that Jesus is gonna make in these final couple verses here in this teaching on prayer. Verse 11, Jesus says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, so again, Jesus, Jesus looks around at, at, the, at these disciples and he asks them a, a, another simple rhetorical question. He basically says this, which one of you, 
Some of you guys have kids, right? Which one of you, if your own child came to you looking for something to eat, which one of you would be so cruel that you would give them something harmful instead? Dad, I'm hungry. Here's a scorpion. (laughs) Peter, would you do that? Would you do that, Peter? And the answer is obviously no. Of course not. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gave another example. He said, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Let me ask you that question, okay? Parents in the room, your child comes up to you, mommy, daddy, I'm so hungry. Which one of you would be so cruel, Eric, (laughs) which one of you would be so cruel that you would go out into the yard, pick up a rock, come in, slap it down on the plate, grin, and say, enjoy. None of you, right? You wouldn't do that. You would not do that. The clear and obvious answer to Jesus' question is that no good father would do that. Why? Why? Because a good parent wants what is best for their children. We, we're flawed parents, right? So we don't always give our children what's best for them, right? I could go on on this, right? And we could totally go off on this. Like withholding discipline from our children, that's not giving them what's best for them. Withholding discipline when they need it. Some of you err on the other side of it, right? We over-discipline our children or we under, but they're both either way, right? But you know that even though you mess up as a parent, your heart's desire is to do what's best for your kids. We just don't always get it right. But God does. But God does. And Jesus says like, he's like, okay, listen, if you then, if you then who are evil, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for the reminder. Right, right. why? Because you were born with a sin nature, every single one of us. Jesus is looking at these fallen men. They've all blown it. They've all got sin in their lives. Jesus is like, look, you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father, right, a perfect, holy, and loving Father, how much more will He give the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him. I mean, think about this. I think in Matthew's gospel, it says, give good gifts to his children. But to give the Holy Spirit, is there a greater gift? Is there a greater gift that God the Father can give than the gift of his presence? Wow. He gives his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Is there any greater gift that God the Father can give than the gift of his son, Jesus? You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his son. Romans chapter eight, verse 32. Paul says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I've heard it said that if, if God has given you his very best, will he not give you the rest? Think about that for a second. If God gave his son to die in our place, if God gives his presence, he gives his Holy Spirit to dwell in the lives of those who come to Jesus by faith, if he gives his best, surely you can trust him for bread, right? Surely you can trust him with your needs, right? As we come to our Heavenly Father asking, seeking, and knocking, we can come to him with full confidence, total confidence that he is always, always working all things together for our good and for his glory. Do you believe that? Again, Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, so, we should boldly bring our requests to God, right? We should, anytime, day or night, right? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, knowing, knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that we can trust him because he is a good father, isn't he? Who loves his children and wants what is best for them. This this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. This is what he wants his disciples to understand. He is your father. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. Go to him anytime, day or night. He is there for you. That's what Jesus is telling them. As I said last week, my hope, my hope is that each and every one of us would be filled with a desire to spend time with our Heavenly Father. That you wouldn't just say like, oh, cool teaching, Jesus. That's a great teaching you had there on prayer. But that we would actually put it into practice and pray. That we would go to him boldly, confidently, often crying out to our Father, asking for his will to be accomplished in this world and in our lives. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. You have Jesus's word on that. What more do you need, right? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what an amazing, amazing gift you have provided for us. Through the incredible sacrifice that you've made, we have become children of God. You taught us to pray, Father. And so we do. We come to you, Father. And we pray, God, that your will would be done in our lives. We pray that your will would be done on this earth. We pray that your name would be glorified, magnified in and in, in through our lives. God, we know that we can trust you with all of our needs. 
yet you, 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 you command us to continue to bring them to you, to cry out to you. God, we know that whether the answers to our prayers are a yes or a no or a wait, we know that you are always working all things together for good, for our good and, and for your glory. And so we trust you with the outcome. God, we pray that you would mold our hearts, change our hearts in those periods of waiting. Help us to never give up, but to continue to trust in you at all times. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, our Savior.